Chapter Three, Part Four. The Curious Lore of Precious Stones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Curious Lore of Precious Stones by George Frederick Kunz. Chapter Three, Part Four on the talismanic use of special stones. Pyrites Crystals of iron pyrites, pyrite native iron disulfide, are sometimes used as amulets by the North American Indians, and the belief in their magic power is attested by their presence in the outfit of miscellaneous objects which the medicine men use in the course of their incantations. Because these gleaming yellow crystals are occasionally mistaken for gold, the name fool's gold has been popularly bestowed upon them. Of this material, the ancient Mexicans made wonderful mirrors, one side being usually polished flat, while the other side was strongly convex. Frequently this side was curiously carved with some symbolic representation, as appears in the case of a pyrite mirror of the Pinard collection in the Trocadero, Paris. Rock Crystal The popular belief in his time as to the origin of rock crystal is voiced by St. Jerome when, using the words of Pliny, although not citing his authority, he says that it was formed by the congelation of water in dark caverns of the mountains, where the temperature was intensely cold, so that, while a stone to the touch, it seems like water to the eye. This belief was evidently due to the fact that rock crystal was so often found in mountain clefts and caverns. Symbolically, it signified that those within the portals of the church should keep themselves free from stain and have a pure faith. The Chinese emperor Wu was devoted to the service of the gods and of the immortal spirits. He built many edifices for religious purposes, and all the doors of these buildings were made of white rock crystal, so that a flood of light poured into the interior. Although the Chinese texts call this material rock crystal, it is possible that the name was applied to glass when that substance was but recently introduced into China. Regarding this same rock crystal, a humorous tale is related— Muan Fen, a Mandarin who had a great terror of drafts, was once received in the palace by one of the Chinese emperors. The doors of the audience chamber were of rock crystal and were tightly closed, but because of the transparency of the material they seemed to be wide open, and the emperor was greatly amused to note that Muan Fen was shivering with cold, although the temperature of the room was quite comfortable. An exceptionally fine specimen of Aztec work is a skull carved out of rock crystal. It weighs 475 and one-quarter ounces troy, and measures eight and one-quarter inches in width. Ruby The ruby has many names in Sanskrit, some of them clearly showing that it was more valued as a gem by the Hindus than any other. For instance, it is called Ratnaraj, king of precious stones, and Ratnanayaka, leader of precious stones. Another name applied to a particular shade of ruby is Padmaraga, red as the lotus. 
the glowing hue of the ruby suggested the idea that an inextinguishable flame burned in the stone from this fancy came the assertion that the inner fire could not be hidden as it would shine through the clothing or through any material that might be wrapped around the stone if cast into the water the ruby communicated its heat to the liquid causing it to boil the dark and the star rubies were called male stones the others more especially however those of lighter hue being considered as female stones all varieties served to preserve the bodily and mental health of the wearer for they removed evil thoughts controlled amorous desires dissipated pestilential vapours and reconciled disputes in the lapidaire of philippe de valois it is said that the books tell us the beautiful clear and fine ruby is the lord of stones it is the gem of gems and surpasses all other precious stones in virtue in the time of marbodus end of the eleventh century a d the same proud place was assigned to the sapphire the ruby is spoken of in similar terms in the lapidaire en verse where it is called the most precious of the twelve stones god created when he created all creatures by christ's command the ruby was placed on aaron's neck the ruby called the lord of gems the highly prized the dearly loved ruby so fair with its gay colour as with diamonds rubies also were divided by the hindus into four castes the true oriental ruby was a brahmin the rubicel a kshatriya the spinel a vesya and lastly the balas ruby a sudra the possession of a padmaraga or brahmin ruby conferred perfect safety upon the owner and as long as he owned this precious stone he could dwell without fear in the midst of enemies and was shielded from adverse fortune however great care had to be taken to preserve this ruby of the first class from contact with inferior specimens as its virtue would thereby be contaminated and its power for good correspondingly diminished the many talismanic virtues of the ruby are noted in the fourteenth-century treatise attributed to Sir John Mandeville. Here the fortunate owner of a brilliant ruby is assured that he will live in peace and concord with all men, that neither his land nor his rank will be taken from him, and that he will be preserved from all perils. The stone would also guard his house, his fruit-trees, and his vineyards from injury by tempests all the good effects were most surely secured if the ruby set in ring bracelet or brooch were worn on the left side the gorgeous ruby the favourite gem of burma where the finest specimens are found is not only valued for its beauty but is also believed to confer invulnerability to attain this end however it is not thought to be sufficient to wear these stones in a ring or other piece of jewellery but the stone must be inserted in the flesh and thus become so to speak a part of its owner's body those who in this way bear about with them a ruby confidently believe that they cannot be wounded by spear sword or gun as it is often remarked that the most daring and reckless soldiers pass unscathed through all the perils of war we can understand that this superstition may sometimes appear to be verified sapphire 
The sapphire is noted as a regal gem by Damigeron, who asserts that kings wore it about their necks as a powerful defense from harm. The stone preserved the wearer from envy and attracted divine favor. For royal use, sapphires were set in bracelets and necklaces, and the sacred character of the stone was attested by the tradition that the law given to Moses on the mount was engraved on tablets of sapphire. While we should probably translate here lapis lazuli instead of sapphire, all such passages were later understood as referring to the true sapphire, which is not found in pieces of the requisite size. In the twelfth century, the Bishop of Rennes lavishes encomiums upon this beautiful stone. It is quite natural that this writer should lay especial stress upon the use of the sapphire for the adornment of rings, for it was in his time that it was beginning to be regarded as the stone most appropriate for ecclesiastical rings. The sapphire was like the pure sky, and mighty nature had endowed it with so great a power that it might be called sacred and the gem of gems. Fraud was banished from its presence, and necromancers honored it more than any other stone, for it enabled them to hear and to understand the obscurest oracles. The traditional virtue of the sapphire as an antidote against poison is noted by Bartolomeus Anglicus, who claims to have seen a test of its power, somewhat similar to that recorded by Ahmed Tefashi of the Emerald. In John of Trevisa's version, this passage reads as follows. His virtue is contrary to venom, and quencheth it every deal. And if you put an adder cup in a box, and hold a very sapphire of Indy at the mouth of the box only while, by virtue thereof, the adder cup is overcome, and dieth as it were suddenly, as diask saith, pseudo diascorides, and this same I have essayed oft in many and diverse places, his virtue keepeth and saith the sight, and cleareth even of filth without only grief. Voicing the general belief that the sapphire was endowed with power to influence spirits, Bartolomeo says that this stone was a great favorite with those who practiced necromancy. And he adds, also witches love well this stone, for they ween that they may work certain wonders by virtue of this stone. There was in the South Kensington Museum in London a splendid sapphire of a peculiar tint. In the daylight it shows a beautiful rich blue color, while by artificial light it has a violet hue and resembles an amethyst. In the 18th century this stone was in the collection of Count de Wallicki, a Polish nobleman, and Madame de Genlis used it as the theme of one of her stories, entitled le saphir merveilleux here the sapphire is used as a test of female virtue the change of color indicating unfaithfulness on the part of the wearer if the owner of the stone wished to prove that the subject of the test was innocent she was made to wear the sapphire for three hours of daylight but in the opposite case the test was so timed that it began in daylight and ended when the candles or lamps had been lighted this sapphire, still known as the Saphir Merveilleux, was for a time in the collection of the Duke of Orléans, who bore the name of Philippe Égalité during the French Revolution. 
The star sapphire is that variety of sapphire in which, when the stone is cut and rounded off horizontal with the dome of the crystal, the light is condensed across the three lines of crystalline interference. Three cross lines produce a star which moves as a source of light, or as it is moved from the source of light. Star sapphires very rarely possess the deep blue color of the fine blue sapphire, generally the color is somewhat impure or of a milky blue or else a blue-gray or sometimes almost a pure white the blue-gray gray and white stones frequently show a much more distinct star possibly from the fact that there are more inclusions between the layers of the crystals than with the darker blue stones as it is the set of interference bands that produces the peculiar light just as the eye agate was used in some countries to preserve against the evil eye, so the moving star is believed by the Singhalese to serve as a protection and a guard against witchcraft of all kinds. The great oriental traveller, Sir Richard Francis Burton, had a large star, sapphire, or asteria, as it was called. He referred to it as his talisman, for it always brought him good horses and prompt attention wherever he went. In fact, it was only in those places where he received proper attention that he would show it to the natives, a favor they greatly appreciated, because the sight of the stone was believed to bring good luck. The fame of Burton's Asteria traveled ahead of him, and it served him well as a guiding star. De Boot, writing in the 17th century, states that such a stone was called Sigstein, victory stone, among the Germans. The remarkable Asteria, known as the Star of India in the Morgan Tiffany Collection in the American Museum of Natural History, has a more or less indefinite historic record of some three centuries, but after its many wanderings it has now found a worthy resting place in the great museum. Its weight is 543 carats. The Asteria, or star sapphire, might be called a stone of destiny, as the three crossbars which traverse it are believed to represent faith, hope, and destiny. As the stone is moved, or the light changes, a living star appears. As a guiding gem, warding off ill omen and the evil eye, the star sapphire is worn for the same reasons as were the oculus mundi and the oculus belli. One of the most unique of talismanic stones, it is said to be so potent that it continues to exercise its good influence over the first wearer even when it has passed into other hands. Sard The sard was regarded as a protection against incantations and sorcery, and was believed to sharpen the wits of the wearer, rendering him fearless, victorious, and happy. The red hue of this stone was supposed to neutralize the malign influence of the dark onyx, driving away the bad dreams caused by the latter, and dispelling the melancholy thoughts it inspired. Serpentine The Italian peasants of today believe that pebbles of green serpentine afford protection from the bites of venomous creatures. These stones are usually green with streaks or veins of white, and the name was derived from their fancied resemblance to a serpent's skin. 
In addition to their prophylactic powers, if anyone has been bitten by such a creature, the stone, when applied to the wound, is supposed to draw out the poison. Here, as in the case of coral, the hand of man must not have shaped the amulet. It should be in its natural state. As a general rule, however, the belief that the touch of any iron instrument, such as the tool of the gem-cutter, destroys the magic efficacy of the substance, is less firmly held in regard to stones than in reference to coral. Topaz See Chrysolite Turquoise while there was a tendency to attribute the virtues originally ascribed to one particular stone to others of the same or similar color and appearance, certain stones were regarded as possessing special virtues not commonly attributed to others. A notable instance of this is the quality supposed to inhere in the turquoise. This stone was known in Egypt from a very early period, and is later described by Pliny under the name of Calais. For Pliny, and for all those who derived their information from him, or from the sources he used, the turquoise only participated in the virtues assigned to all blue or greenish-blue stones. But from the thirteenth century, when the name turquoise was first employed, we read that the stone possessed the power to protect the wearer from injury by falling, more especially from horseback. Later, this was extended to cover falls from a building or over a precipice. A fourteenth-century authority, the Lapidaire of Sir John Mandeville, states that the turquoise protected horses from the ill effects resulted from drinking cold water when overheated by exertion. And it is said that the Turks often attach these stones to the bridles and frontlets of their horses as amulets. They are also so used in Samarkand and Persia. We might therefore be justified in supposing that the turquoise was originally used in the east as a horse amulet, and the belief in its power to protect from falls may have arisen from the idea that it rendered the horse more sure-footed and enduring. As the horse was often regarded as a symbol of the sun in its rapid course through the blue heavens, the celestial hue of the turquoise may have caused it to be associated in some way with the horse. We can only hazard this as a plausible conjecture. Probably the earliest notice of the peculiar superstition in regard to the turquoise, namely that it preserves the wearer from injury in case of falling, is contained in Volmar's 13th century Steinbuch, where we read, Whoever owns the true turquoise set in gold will not injure any of his limbs when he falls, whether he be riding or walking, so long as he has the stone with him. Anselmus de Boot, court physician of Emperor Rudolf II, tells a story of a turquoise that, after being thirty years in the possession of a Spaniard, was offered for sale with the rest of the owner's property. Everyone was amazed to find it had entirely lost its color. Nevertheless, de Boot's father bought it for a trifling sum. On his return home, however, ashamed to wear so mean-looking a gem, he gave it to his son, saying, Son, as the virtues of the turquoise are said to exist only when the stone has been given, I will try its efficacy by bestowing it upon thee. 
little appreciating the gift the recipient had his arms engraved on it as though it had been only a common agate and wore it as a signet he had scarcely worn it a month however before it resumed its pristine beauty and daily seemed to increase in splendour could we accept this statement as true we would have here an altogether unique instance of the recovery by a turquoise of the blue colour it had lost not long after the powers of de Boot's turquoise were put to the test as he was returning to bohemia from padua where he had just taken his degree he was forced to traverse a narrow and dangerous road at night suddenly his horse stumbled and threw him heavily to the ground but strange to say neither horse nor rider was injured by the fall next morning while washing his hands de boot remarked that about a quarter of his turquoise had broken away nevertheless the stone did not lose its virtue some time afterward when the wearer was lifting a very heavy pole he felt all at once a sharp pain in his side and heard his ribs crack so that he feared he had injured himself seriously however it turned out that he had not broken any bones but had simply strained himself but on looking at his turquoise he saw that it had again broken into two pieces a singular virtue ascribed to the turquoise was that of striking the hour correctly if the stone were suspended from a thread held between the thumb and index finger in such a way that a slight vibration would make the stone strike against the side of a glass de boot states that he made the experiment successfully but he very sensibly explains the apparent wonder by the unconscious effect of the mind on the body the expectation that the stone was going to strike a certain number of times induced an involuntary movement of the hand. The turquoise seems to have been worn almost exclusively by men at the beginning of the 17th century, for de Boot, writing in 1609, said that it was so highly regarded by men that no man considered his hand to be well adorned unless he wore a fine turquoise. Women, however, rarely wore this gem this custom was much in vogue among the englishmen who travelled in the orient until a score of years ago the persians fully appreciate the beauty and power of this their natural stone and they have a saying that to escape evil and attain good fortune one must see the reflection of the new moon either on the face of a friend on a copy of the koran or on a turquoise thus ranking this stone with two most precious things a friend and the source and warrant of religion possibly we should take this proverbial saying to indicate that whoever has a true friend a copy of the sacred volume or a turquoise will be preserved from harm the turquoise of the los sorios mines in new mexico is rudely extracted by building large fires at the base of the rock until it becomes heated when cold water is dashed over it the sharp change of temperature splitting up the rock some of the fragmentary material thus secured is worked up in the region into heart-shaped ornaments or amulets locally called malachates 
the religious veneration with which many of the new mexico indians still regard the turquoise was noted by major hyde when he explored the region in eighteen eighty for some pueblo indians from santo domingo new mexico expressed strong disapproval of his action in extracting turquoise from the old mine as they looked upon this as a sacred stone which should not pass into the possession of those whose saviour was not a montezuma the ruins called los muertos situated nine miles from tempe arizona have furnished a peculiarly interesting amulet or fetish of zuni workmanship this is a seashell which has been coated with black pitch in which are encrusted turquoises and garnets so disposed in mosaic as to represent clearly enough the figure of a toad the sacred emblem of the zunis the sacred character with which this stone was invested is shown by the wealth of turquoise ornaments found in some of the burials notably in those of pueblo bonito unearthed by mr george h pepper in eighteen ninety six this is one of the chaco canon groups of ruins in the northwestern part of new mexico in one case nearly nine thousand beads and pendants of turquoise were found on or about a single skeleton there was abundant evidence in the special care bestowed upon the burial that the deceased must have been a man of high rank and the condition of the skull plainly indicated that he had met a violent death the one thousand nine hundred and eighty beads found on the breast of the skeleton are believed to have been strung as a necklace and the position of other masses of these beads renders it probable that they had been used for bracelets or anklets the strings having decayed and disappeared in the course of time the most interesting of the turquoise objects are however the pendants worked into various forms designed to favor the entrance of some guardian spirit into the stone in this single burial were found pendants shaped more or less roughly into the forms of a rabbit a bird an insect question a human foot and a shoe around another burial in the same chamber were strewn nearly six thousand turquoise beads and pendants in all twenty four thousand nine hundred and thirty two beads were found in these burials another very interesting object from pueblo bonito and one having probably a special ceremonial use and value is a turquoise basket that is to say a cylindrical basket three inches in diameter and six inches long originally made of slender splints with a coating of gum in which one thousand two hundred and fourteen small pieces of turquoise have been set these are very closely set and form a complete mosaic covering for the object the legends of the navajos contain allusions to turquoise jewel baskets and mr pepper raises the question whether or no this can refer to those made by the pueblo indians the apache name for the turquoises duklige which signifies either a green or a blue stone no distinction being made between the two colors this stone is highly prized for its talismanic virtues indeed the possession of a turquoise was indispensable for a medicine man as without it he would not receive proper recognition that some of the powers of the thunderstone were ascribed to the turquoise by the tribes appears from the fancy that a man who could go to the end of a rainbow after a storm and search in the damp earth would find a turquoise 
one of its supposed powers was to aid the warrior or hunter by assuring the accuracy of his aim for if a turquoise were affixed to a gun or bow the shot sped from the weapon would go straight to the mark a lady prominent in the london world is said to possess the power of restoring to their pristine hue turquoises that have grown pale according to report this lady is often called upon to use her peculiar gift by friends whose turquoises have faded while the improvements supposed to be noted may be more imaginary than real in many cases there is little doubt that this stone is exceptionally sensitive to the action of certain emanations and may at times be influenced by the wearer's general state of health the writer believes that a turquoise like an egg can never be restored to its original state End of chapter three part four